It's hard to know exactly how to respond to that. Whether to clap because it's so beautiful and performs so well, or whether to weep because it's, man, and you watch people in that trap. I bet some of you have heard that catchy tune a number of times and not really connected with what the song is saying. People get trapped in the chains of addiction and, and those bondages, and ah, it's painful to watch. It's painful to see someone's face with the story. What's even more painful is when you, when you know and you love people, and you're not looking at their face. You can see faces, and you know names of people caught in those same exact cycles. My name's Lad. I'm one of the pastors here at K2, and today in this series about justice, God being a just God, we come to this place where we are going to hear today that God calls us to fight against injustice. If you've been here with us for a while, we actually started a few weeks ago, and really we kind of came square in the face with the fact that God says that he is just, and that sounds good and until we realize that, that God as a just God, um, he can't just wink at injustice. And you and I find injustice in our hearts. We find sin in us and we realize that God can't just give it a pass. He can't just wink at it. And so that puts us in a place of, of real need. And then the second week, Dave said that what God says is not only is he fully just, he's fully love. And while he's fully just, he says, I am going to, to fully punish this sin and injustice, but I'm going to take the punishment for you. I, I willingly take on this injustice for you. And he takes injustice and he pays the price for our sin, for all who would believe, for all who would receive. And the call is for you not to justify yourself, but for us to let him justify us. And he doesn't just scratch it even, but he gives us the righteousness of Christ. And when he does, we find that we no longer have the need to judge others. We don't need to judge anyone at all. In fact, God calls us to give out grace like rain, to let it overflow out of us because we've been given so much. We've been justified. Why in the world would we need to try to prove ourselves better than anyone else? Because that's what you always do when you judge someone. Why would you need to prove yourself better than anyone? Because God is the one who justifies us all. And then last week, Rut taught really that, that when we walk with God in that way, it allows us to judge fairly, to actually discern what is right and wrong amongst each other fairly. And so we come to this issue of injustice, and actually one of the verses we used last week actually really brings it straight up. And this issue of injustice, because you and I typically, we want justice for us, but oftentimes at the cost of injustice for others. We want what is good for us, and typically we're willing to, to abuse others to allow good for us. In fact, this is what Paul said in Corinthians, in chapter 6 of Corinthians, uh, the church wasn't getting along. And he said, you're arguing. It's proof that you got problems. In fact, even some of them, they couldn't even agree amongst themselves over issues. And so they took it outside of the church and they were suing each other outside in the courts. 
in Corinth, and he said, listen, the fact that you even have these lawsuits with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not just accept the injustice and leave it at that? And I want to be clear, God, he's not saying that we accept injustice. He says, why not accept that injustice and leave it at that? Why not let yourselves be cheated? He says, really, when you understand that God is the one who justifies and that he is the judge, he says, why not be okay with a little bit of injustice towards you? Let that get swallowed up in love because that's who God is. You see, God received injustice on behalf of you and I. He took unjustly, he took our sin upon himself and paid the price for us. And so he says, if you're going to love each other the way I love you, there's going to be some times where somebody steps on your toes and you don't have to step back on their toes, just accept that injustice. Why not allow yourself to be cheated rather than to disgrace the name of Jesus by arguing over nickels and dimes. And so we come to this place, but what it brings up is the fact that you and I, typically, we want justice for us, but justice for you, well, that's kind of, that's on you, right? We live in a culture where even this week we celebrate our freedom, right? How many saw fireworks this week? I saw absolutely great fireworks this week, and we throw things up in the sky and paint the sky really with our freedoms, and we celebrate. And what we find today is that God calls us to be a people who actually fight not just for our own freedom, because that's how this land got started, this nation got started. We were fighting for our freedoms, and he calls us not just to be a people who fight for our freedoms, but fight for the freedoms of others. He calls us not just to look out for our interests, but also for the interests of others. See, here in America, we have this culture of individualism, this, this bootstrap kind of, I did it my way, I earned my way, the American dream, the I plowed the way, I worked hard, I created this, and, and this is mine, and it, I earned it. We, we value that. We celebrate that. It's almost a kind of an egocentric Darwinian kind of culture in which the weak, they just get eaten by the lions that get left behind, and we don't really celebrate that they fall off, but we really celebrate those who plow through and leave others behind. That's kind of what the American dream is founded on, again, those who plow through. And, and so when we talk about injustice, the difficulty is that you and I, this isn't really a personal issue anymore for us. We're 80 years almost away from the signing of the Social Security Act, 1935. And anybody here alive in 1935? All right, as a kid? All right, a few of us. And in 1935, Social Security, and that Roosevelt signed it, and we are almost to the place where, doesn't the government take care of injustice? Right? Isn't that kind of the government's job? And you might think they're doing a good job or you might think they're doing a terrible job, but nonetheless, it's not really a personal issue, is it? It's not something that I'm supposed to care about, is it? Or I'm supposed to do? I mean, that, that's what the government is for, right? And we, with fireworks, celebrate our freedoms. And we rely on the government to do what God says. No, 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 this is something between you and I. Injustice is an issue that I care about and I want you to care about. So we're going to jump in and we're going to find out about that. I'm going to pray and we're going to go right in. God, we are here today. You already know that. And uh, we have come to K2, God, not out of routine. We didn't come here just uh, to hear music and just to sit. God, we came to hear 
from you. And no one here came to hear from me. They came to hear from you. And so God, whether, whether someone's here for the first time just wondering whether or not you are even real or whether they've been here for years and their ears are, are worn out from all the talking, God, would you cut through the noise today and would you speak personally to each one of us? Would you turn on the lights, as it were, with your Holy Spirit of your scriptures? God, would you show your character to us? that you are just and you care about those who are treated unjustly. Would you teach us through your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the first thing that we're going to find out today is that love takes no joy in injustice. Love takes no joy in injustice. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is talking about love and a lot about impersonal love and really the love that comes from God. God says that he is love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul writes this about love. He says, it or love does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Okay, Love never rejoices in injustice. It rejoices when the truth wins out. Paul contrasts injustice and truth. Okay, He doesn't contrast Injustice and justice. You can contrast injustice and truth. Here's a definition for, for uh, injustice. It's the absence of justice or a violation of right or the rights of another. You see, injustice always does this. It always says, you are not as valuable as I am. Right? Injustice always says, your rights don't count as much as mine. Injustice always says, we are not equal. All right, and if you're like me, again, oftentimes you think of injustice, it's a far off thing. It's in a different country. It's somewhere communist. It's somewhere far away. It's not, it's not here in me and in us and in our life. And so what, what Paul says is that it doesn't, love doesn't take joy in injustice, but it takes joy in truth. What's the lie? What's the falsehood in injustice? And what is the joy and truth? You see, the truth that we take joy in is exactly what God said. He is our God. He is our maker. He says from the start that he made man and woman and he made them equal. And it was good. And we come to the New Testament and God says in Galatians 3, he says that in Christ, he said there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's no longer a superiority of connection to him. There is no longer Jew nor Gentile. There is neither male nor female. There is neither slave nor free that all have become one in Christ Jesus. What God says is, I am your maker and I am your father and I love you equally. All are equally valuable. Love takes no joy in injustice. Second thing we're going to go to is that worship can't coexist with injustice. All right, this is the one that kind of hits us, especially if this is your normal routine. Worship can't happen with injustice. In Isaiah, this exact same issue was going on in the people of God in Israel. And in Isaiah, he speaks to the people, and this is what he says in chapter 58. He says, your routine of of seeking me at church, it's fantastic. He goes, everything that you do, you're right on time. You give what, what God asked them to give, they gave. When God told them to pray and to fast and to not eat, they did it. 
when God told them to be at church and, and the priest said, this is how often you have to be at the temple, they were there. And yet the people said this. They said, God, I don't know that you really hear us. It seems like we're just kind of going through these motions. And I don't even know if our prayers are getting past the ceiling. And he said, they're not. And here's why. Starting in verse 6. And what he says, he uses this word fasting. He says, is this not the kind of fasting, meaning wrapping up that whole system of worship, of routine and time at the temple and time praying and time fasting and time worshiping? He says, is this not the kind of fasting or worship that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? It's not to share, is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. That's your in-laws, by the way, right? Your own flesh and blood, right? So cannot turn away from your in-laws, right? And, uh, or your family. Literally, now listen. Here's what he says. Keep going. Then you will call because what they're saying is you're calling and you don't think I'm answering because I'm not. He says, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, if you spend yourselves, what do you spend yourself on? If you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. In verse 8, he says, then the Lord will be your rear guard. What God says is, I want to have your back. In life, I want to be your advocate. I want to be your wingman, but I'm not because of this. Now go back to those first couple verses in verse six for me. Take a look at those things. There are naked people. There are hungry people. Sorry, verse seven. There are chains of injustice. There are people who need food, there are people who don't have shelter. Is there ever going to be a time in the whole world where all of those things are solved and everyone is clothed and everyone is hungry and everyone is sorted out and there is no injustice? Is there any time soon that that's going to happen? No. Let me ask this. Is God telling the people of Israel that when these circumstances get fixed, then I will have your back? That's not what he's saying. Now, you could think that. In fact, a lot of times the way we approach things, we actually go thinking we're fixing things, but that's not at all what he says. What he says is, when you start to care about the things that I care about, when you become transformed by these things, then I'll have your back. When your heart is changed to be like mine and to care for those who don't have injustice, then you'll call and I will hear you. You might be a person who has been here for years and you think, God, I don't, I don't understand. It doesn't seem like you even hear me. I don't even know if you're up there anymore. And what God said to these people was, you fast and yet on the day of your fasting, you argue and complain and scrap for every little thing you can get. He said, on the same day that you come to worship, you have employees that are overworked and underpaid. How in the heck do you think I'm going to listen to you when you have injustice in your heart? This is the worship I require. 
Worship can't coexist with injustice. See, if you're like me, you find injustice in your own heart. And what God wants from you is he wants to transform you. He wants to free you from having to assume all of that for yourself. And he wants to transform your heart. And these ways that he says to begin to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and loose the chains, you step into those things in Jesus' name, it's a done deal. I watch people, I watch you regularly step into that kind of stuff and life is never the same again. And God goes to work and all of a sudden God's got your back and you can't understand what happened. All you know is he's real and he's answering and my God, my life is different. So how do we do this? How do we actually tangibly hear from God about an issue of injustice and begin to take steps? And I could talk about it all day long. Yes, you're welcome. Um, because really, because there's so many issues, right? There's orphans everywhere. There's foster care. There's adoption. And God will, if you say, God, what am I supposed to care about? He's going to give you something to care about because so many of you know it. There's people here, their whole lives are about adoption and helping others adopt and they've adopted and we absolutely love it because there are so many children that have no one to advocate for them. I don't know what your issue is, but God wants to call you to, to be transformed by this issue of injustice. I, I, know, um, I know someone here two weeks ago I sat and talked with him, and he's been here in our country for 13 years. He's an immigrant here, and he has had an ID for 13 years, and he has paid Social Security and tax for 13 years, and citizenship is nowhere in his future. He can't redeem any of the benefits that you and I have as citizens. What, what, what do I do with that? I, I mean, an injustice, and I... I'm happy, I'm happy to let it be a political issue and just stay far away from my heart and life, right? Right? We don't care about injustice because we're on the side of benefit. We can't just let these things stay far away. God says, bring them close to home. I want you to care about them. Are they complicated? Yeah. So I want to invite two people up. Daniel and Heidi, come on up. Let's give these guys a hand. Daniel Heidi Rogers, and uh, the reason that I invited them to come, thank you so much, the reason I invited them to come up is not just because they're amazing and because of that fantastic mustache, um, but, uh, but I invited them to uh, come and talk a little bit about their life because what happened is they encountered the God of justice a few years ago who called them as Christians to be about fighting injustice, and, and they've just kind of brought it into their life right? And they have jobs and kids. And tell us about your kids and how long you've been here in Salt Lake and all that, Heidi. Um, we've lived in Salt Lake for six years and have been coming to K2 for just as long. And we have two sons. They are three and a half and two in there. The oldest one is Langdon. The younger one is Atticus. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, thank you guys so much for sharing a bit of your story with us today. Uh, just tell us a little bit about how you guys kind of bumped into injustice and was it an automatic fit and what process did God take you through in actually saying, okay, this is something that has to be part of my walk with Jesus? Yeah, a couple years ago, um, 
God started bringing me through this process of um, exposing me to the issue of sex trafficking, um, which for those of you who don't know is, um, the legal definition is uh, the use of force, fraud, or coercion to get somebody else to um, engage in sexual acts that they otherwise wouldn't. Um, essentially saying, hey, I own you now, and you're gonna go do this for me to make money for me, and you don't have any say in it. Um, the first time I heard about it, I wish I could say that I sprang into action, but I didn't. Um, it's uncomfortable to face these kinds of things and let them affect you. Um, so I ignored it because that felt better for me at the time. But God kept bringing it back and eventually got to the point where I couldn't, with a good conscience, continue to ignore it and continue to live my life the way I had. Um, yeah. And Daniel, you really brought a lot of these things to our attention. In fact, some of you uh, were at, we had a movie premiere here called Sex and Money a couple of years ago about this industry. And uh, some of you were at that. And so I probably, you, you probably gave me 10 ideas and I probably pushed back on nine of them. And, uh, but you kept leading us into making this an issue. And so thank you so much for that. Um, and so you guys, you guys began to say, okay, we are going to, we're going to study this. We're going to research it. We're going to make a difference. Um, and, and just tell us a little bit about how you, how you did that. Where did you find information? And how does somebody go about saying, okay, I want to learn more about what really is and how I can make a difference? Yeah, I, I didn't have a great process to start with, but I found some good websites. I don't know if you guys have them. Um, you can throw up uh, on the screen. A couple of them, um, Polaris Project is a national organization who deals with um, trafficking, sex trafficking, labor trafficking, just human trafficking in general. Um, they have a lot of great information online. Um, uh, let's see, Love 146 is a fantastic organization that deals with sex trafficking. A lot of really raw facts on their website. Um, learned a lot there. And it, it, one thing with this issue is it's underreported. It's hard to get good statistics on it. But um, we know it's a big problem anyway. That Even here in Salt Lake, there are... Uh, there are cases, um, Operation 61, they're up on the screen, is an organization here locally who deals with this issue. Um, I've heard countless stories from them about people from Utah who have been trafficked. And yeah, it's not only happening over in Cambodia and countries across the world. Okay. All right. And so Heidi, you care a lot about this as well. Um, but in thinking about injustice in trafficking in general, God's led you to some other areas as well. Yeah. A friend of mine brought up to me a couple years ago the issue of child trafficking in the cocoa industry. And it, like Daniel, it took me a few months to really process and like hit my heart. But um, essentially, along the Ivory Coast, children are trafficked in from surrounding countries to work on cocoa plantations. Um, and most of the chocolate companies that we, well, around the world, but here in America, they can't trace really their whole process. So this is how they can afford, or we can afford to buy chocolate at such a reasonable price because it's made at the hands of children who have been taken from their families. And sometimes the children are just taken and sometimes you know, their families are promised that the children are going to make money and send it back to their families, and they never do. Um, so when I heard about this, I was just, I was absolutely disgusted. I 
you know, I mean, none of us would want our children taken away to work in such dangerous conditions with machetes. And um, so it just hit me and I decided that I can't live with that and I'm going to do something about it. So. so we're talking about chocolate. We're talking about Snickers bars. We're talking about just our common purchasing largely has untraceable chocolate. And some of that is, some of that or a lot of that is uh, from trafficked individuals. Yes, I would venture to say that all of the chocolate you buy in the store, there have been child slaves working on it. So I just heard about that a couple weeks ago. Like that blows me away. I, I got me, you know what I mean? That just blows me away. And so what do we do with that? So what did you do with that information? Uh, first, we found some documentaries that uh, went into these cocoa plantations and documented what was happening, and we showed those to our friends. Mm-hmm. So we kind of spread the word and talked about it. And then after that, Daniel and I, we committed to only buying fair trade chocolate. And there's a little like certification symbol um, that you would find on chocolate to know that it's fair trade. And that means that farmers have been paid a fair wage for that and there's like age restrictions and all of that on there. So you know that the chocolate you're buying has not used forced child labor. And it's a little more expensive. um, So we do eat less chocolate, but it's a sacrifice that we are, you know, that's really important to us and we're willing to make and um, so that's kind of where we've been at. The other things you can do are you can petition lawmakers and um, some of the cocoa hmm. companies. Talk a little bit about that because often we think of we think of injustice and we think of either activism or you know personal actions. But talk a little bit about purchasing power and just how that works. Uh, you know, we live in a country where supply and demand is how businesses run. And so I firmly believe that every purchase you make matters. So even if you can't commit to buying like a ton of fair trade chocolate, um, every time you do, that makes a statement to the companies. And Daniel reminded me in between services today that in the UK, there is a fair trade Kit Kat bar that's certified because people in the UK demanded that. And so, you know, if we get together and we demand that of our cocoa companies here, then it'll happen. We can make a difference. Hmm. So tell us a little bit, Daniel, just about you in, in Salt Lake. How have you translated, can, how do you actually put your feet to the ground on getting a little bit towards this sex slave industry here in our city? What, what has that looked like for you? Right after the uh, screening of Sex and Money that I told you about, um, I met a, a woman here who was just getting this uh, outreach organization called Jewels off the ground. And it's um, essentially once a month, go out to strip clubs and reach out to the women working there. Um, she has a huge heart for it because she was working there only a few years before. And she just knows what that life is like. Um, that's a picture from Friday night. We were out there again. We make gifts every month and bring them, and the ladies on our team go into the club and hand them out and say, hey, somebody out here cares about you, cares about what you're going through, and just wants to be here for you and love you. And it's, uh, it's a pretty powerful statement when you can tell somebody, mm. you know, I don't know you, but I love you, and we've seen an amazing response and some amazing things happening in the lives of the women mm. um, who have reached out to us for, you know, a number of different things. Mm. But um, 
quick plug if you guys are feeling interested in this. We're actually in the process of expanding right now. There are clubs um, up in Ogden and uh, mm -hmm. Wendover, Rock Springs that we'd like to start reaching, and um, we just need some more manpower for that. Yep. Um, and uh, Daniel's on the board there, so if you want any information about that, you could get with him. Our church fully supports Jules, and we're really excited about the ministry. Many of you are involved with it, so thank you again. And what that, what that provides is an opportunity to get in relationship with people then who are either trafficked, because some of those women are trafficked and are there by requirement from their boyfriend or some man, and then, and then also uh, it gets us closer to other possible trafficking situations here in Salt Lake. Okay, so tell us a little bit, there's all, the, there's all the actions of these two things, but for you guys, what's happened in your hearts as you've said, okay, we're actually not going to eat as much chocolate, and we're going to pay more for the little bit that we do eat. What's happened in your hearts as you've taken those steps, as you've gone on the board and spent hours and worked with Jules? What's changed inside of you guys? Um, I think God has expanded my heart in ways I didn't expect. Um, he's just constantly working. I don't know. I'm just so much more compassionate and aware of everything from things that I say and things that I buy. I don't know. It's just been incredible. I don't even know if I can describe it. Yeah, I can't describe it either. It's, it's, a, it's an expansion, I think, of your heart that... Uh, God uses this process to do a couple things. One, open your eyes to situations um, that just really suck straight up mm -hmm. for other people. Um, and then also he uses that to just develop um, what I would say is his love mm -hmm. inside of you for those people. And that that's what really spurs the action. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, to be honest, what you and I have is an opportunity. Once we, once we come to know something, we then have an opportunity to either say, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of you at my benefit, or, or I'm going to prefer you and, and fight against injustice. And so, you know, for what happens in that process and what these guys have said is that God changes your heart when you begin to care about others in a new way. So anyways, let's say thanks to these guys. Let's... Again, I don't know exactly how this plays out for you, uh, whether, whether fair trade purchasing is something you're like, man, I've got to figure that out. I don't, wanna, I don't want my purchases to fuel slavery somewhere else in the world. Or, or maybe uh, for you, it's, it's adoption or um, it's abortion and the millions of abortions that happen, people that don't have consent to the end of their lives. Maybe it's it's something completely different. It's an injustice uh, locally in your community um, with people who don't have opportunity. Maybe it's a, an opportunity globally. Uh, Sally Townsend is one of our members here, and three or four years ago, she decided that she needed to make a difference, that God really was pointing her heart to make a difference in Africa for children who were orphaned by AIDS, by the AIDS of their parents. And, uh, and so she began to pray about that, talk about that here at church, approach the leadership here at church about it. And, and three and a half years later, many of you, how many of you guys are sponsors at our community in, 
in uh, Africa that we're partners with, a few of you. And uh, we've sponsored 203 kids because of what Sally kind of grew in this vision. And, and there's a church plant happening there. And this next week, we're sending a team of 26 people to Swaziland really to kick off this. Um, yeah, it's really fun. Actually, why don't you guys come on?